We are looking in the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. Philippians is a good book to look at when you're having a rough time, when you're just having a rough life. You know, things are not always working out for your advantage, you think. But there's some wonderful things that are mentioned in the book of Philippians that kind of helps us in our Christian life. You know that little daily walk we have to have with the Lord. And things that are happening, good, bad, or indifferent, we still got to live life. We can't get exempt. I know some people say, Lord, would you just stop the earth and let me off? I'm ready to get off. Like going down the expressway and you just want to get off the expressway, but there's no off-ramp. Don't you just hate that? Or you're driving down the expressway and you're hungry and you can't find a restaurant. Or you're looking for the rest here and you can't find that. That's even worse. But you're always looking for something as you travel down the road of life. And so uh, sometimes there's little detours that we make. Uh, little uh, errors in our judgment. Sometimes good decisions we make too. But I thought the other day it was interesting to listen to, um, what's the name, president's name, Trump? <laughs> There's still some people question whether or not he's the president or not. But he is the president. He was elected. And um, I listened to his speech that he had on um, the United Nations. And I, I really enjoyed his speech. I thought what he said. Uh, he was saying what I'd want to say if I was going to, you know, I could just say it and there'd be no consequences. He'll say it regardless of the consequences. And I couldn't believe it just the other day. I made a statement. I don't know if it was Sunday night or Sunday night. I might have been somewhere, but I forgot where I made it. Whenever these people are refusing to, you know, to stand and, you know, to honor our flag and our country and so forth, I says, if I was a coach, they ought to just fire them. <laughs> well, I thought it. <laughs> Trump said it. And he says it on nationwide television. Now he's got the NFL mad at him. The NBA's mad at him. Most of the football players are mad at him. <laughs> um, but he, he says what he, you wish you had the courage to say if you didn't have to, you know, fall out from it. Well, there's fallout from it. And, you know, I think it's at the place where he really doesn't care whether you like it or you don't like it. He really is not trying to win the popularity contest because <laughs> he won the presidency without the popularity contest. So he's not trying to do that. Uh, I saw this book that, uh, what's her name? Uh, I didn't see it. I just heard about it. Uh, uh, Hillary Clinton wrote a book. And I thought to myself, after all this time, what difference does it make? <laughs> what difference does it make? I heard that from somebody. You know, one time somebody said that. But anyway, isn't the Lord good? Don't you love a little humor along the way? Well, that, that's what the Lord's talking about. Enjoying life as you go because you're not going to, you're not going to get everybody on your side. Not everybody loves you. You ought to see all some of the things that people have said just about the message that I was talking about the other night, and it was put up on YouTube. It had 2,500 hits. And there's a whole bunch of people that totally disagree with my theological position. And some of them use some vile language. And so I just, I reported them. I said, this is, you know, it's not only just spam. I said, this is, this is terrible. To go on my website and, you know, talking about the things of the Lord, and somebody wants to use a lot of profanity. I don't care for profanity. I don't use it, never have, and I don't care for it. And if anybody cares, that offends me. And since we're, everybody's against everybody who offends them, I'm already offended by 99% of the world. <laughs> and I think they ought to change just for me. Wouldn't that be good? I'm going to start a protest somehow. But I don't even know how to start a protest. I wouldn't know who to protest to. You? 
Yeah, yeah, well. Philippians, I want you to look at this. Look down at verse 5, chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 5. Now, last week we covered a lot of things about the book of Philippians and what it was and was not, and how that there's the world outside, and it's a, a wicked world. But there's the peace of you on the inside. So regardless of what happens in the world, we're supposed to be at peace with the Lord. We may not be at peace with the world because the world hates the Lord and the world's going to hate you. And if it hated Christ, it's going to hate you. But we want everybody to like us. That's why we don't make a big mark because we are so afraid of offending somebody. So we don't say a lot of things. And I kind of get a, a kick out of somebody. I don't even know if the guy knows the Lord. But he just, boom, just blast him anyway. And um, you know what? He doesn't need their money. He doesn't need their money. And he's already been as far as, as, as popular as you can be. Just about everybody in the whole world knows who he is. <laughs> now they know who that little chubby guy is, too, over there. In, um, the rocket man. Boy, he's gotten in trouble with that. Just calling him the rocket man. He comes up with some names that really stick, you know. And now the rocket man has done come back against him and blasting Donald Trump. Says he's insane. So we've got two people calling the other one insane. But the thing is, though, and it was in the paper today, they said, we are going to annihilate America. We're going to get you. Well, then should we wait till they do to see if they really do? I don't know. I think they're pushing this envelope clean to the edge. <laughs> so one of these days we could wake up and there's a mushroom cloud somewhere in the world. But look there in verse 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Your fellowship in the gospel. You see, it's easy if everybody believes the same thing about the gospel. That's why you can work together if people believe the same thing. This is what makes you know, teaching in our Bible college a little easier for the students because they don't have five teachers teaching five different things. You can go to some colleges and they do. I went up there, I took some kids one time to Bob Jones University. Bob Jones University, and I went and talked to this one man, and uh, sat in his office, and uh, he says, yes, you have to make Christ the Lord and Master of your life, and you have to turn from your sins. And if you're really saved, you'll live it. That's everything I teach against. But that's what he was teaching. And I went to another teacher, and I was going to ask him about because he was teaching personal evangelism, and uh, didn't have it that same name, but that's what it boiled down to. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. He says, that's works for salvation. He says, you're just saved by grace, just by trusting Christ as Savior, and he'll never cast you out. And uh, that uh, you don't have to serve the Lord to go to heaven. Once you're saved, you're always saved. Totally off two different teachers. One believes exactly like I do, and one believes exactly the opposite. Teaching the same school. But then they'll have a whole bunch of people. Some that'll be believing predestination, some that won't. Some are Calvinists, and some are, I don't know if any of them are Armenian, but the, it's ridiculous. You don't, you don't do that. The Lord talks about being of the same mind. Mark them which cause divisions contrary to the doctrines which you have received and avoid them. You don't put them on the staff. The, the doctrine's wrong, you don't do that. That's why you've got to have a good, strong doctrinal statement so everybody knows what you believe. And this is what we've done here. So anyway, your fellowship in the gospel. Number six, verse six, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, there's two ways of looking at this verse. One is 
the work that God did in you when he saved you, and he's going to perform a good work in you, through you, for the rest of your life, which would uh, be like a, a guarantee. But that's not what I believe that Paul was talking about. There's these people here in the church at Philippi that had supported the apostle Paul and his ministry, and were now, well, at for a while, they were not able to, for whatever the reasons, and now, once again, the good work that they were doing, which was in supporting the missions, they're down doing it again. Uh, just to kind of give you that idea, look there in Philippians in chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and look there in verse 10. And I believe this is a reference to that verse that we read over there. In verse 10 of chapter 4, he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me has flourished again. So they did, they didn't, and now they're doing it again. And so that good work that they were doing, because giving is a good thing. And so he's talking about, you know, there's things that happens in life, and he's been through an awful lot, and he's been in prison, he's in prison again. But he says, you have once again, you know, flourished, in the sense that you're doing this for missions again. Look there in Philippians in chapter 1. So he says, I believe that you will continue this and, and do what you're supposed to do until the day of Christ, until we get home to be with the Lord. So as long as we're in this life, serving God is what God wants us to do. So he says, we all believe the same thing. Therefore, that's why we give and sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Now look there in verse 7. Even as it is meet for me or fit for me to think this of you all. You all, you know, that's a southern term. Because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. In other words, when Paul says uh, God's grace was not bestowed upon him in vain, but he also says, I labored more abundantly than they all. Through God giving Paul the grace to live for the Lord with the desire and the power to do the will of God, his labor was not in vain. There were people who had trusted the Lord. He says, and you are the result of this, uh, what he calls here, my grace. In other words, I didn't charge you. I did it willingly. You don't owe me, but I did it. And he says, for the gospel's sake. So Paul did what he did, and he suffered because of his defense of the gospel. See, if you just kind of present it and let it go, nobody cares anything about that. But I go to a lot of meetings where they don't present the gospel. And so um, some people say, well, are they clear? I couldn't tell you. They never gave it. I went to a meeting just recently, well, on Thursday. And there were hundreds of preachers in there. And uh, I thought I'd let Jesse go with me, cause, so Jesse went with me, because I wanted him to see what I'm doing. And, some of these things, and so he enjoyed going. And um, this one uh, little fella come up to me with his wife and says, uh, Mr. Arnold, he said it real funny, you know, a little accent. You know, and uh, he says, I'm a pastor of, over in Brandon of the Filipino Baptist Church. And I said, well, good, I'm glad to meet you. He said, I listen to you on the radio every day, every day I listen to you on the radio, every day. He says, and I like what you say. He says, I agree with you. <laughs> uh, 
And I don't know what all he'd been listening to, but I thanked him. He says, can I have a picture with you? And I said, sure. So anyway, he stood on this side, and his wife, she stood on that side. I was going to put them on the other side, you know, and you want to get on this side. So anyway, I had my arms on their shoulders. I said, are y'all standing up? <laughs> they're short. No, they're short. I said, are y'all standing up? And then, yeah, I guess y'all are. <laughs> anyway, I had a little fun with them. But you're always trying to influence people, but uh, they had um, a speaker, but he never gave the gospel. I guess you just assume that everybody knows the Lord. And the pastor's name was Al Moeller. He is the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And uh, known all over the America. I mean, uh, taught much individual. But, but they didn't make the gospel clear. So I don't know what he said or how he really believes. Uh, I got an idea, but I, I, didn't, I couldn't make a decision. But what he said was good. It's just that sometimes they leave out, to me, the most important thing of all. And I, you know, I, me, I just don't like to take it for granted that, uh, well, everybody's saved. I'd rather believe everybody's lost. And that way I don't take it for granted. Every time I speak in the meetings of place, everybody's lost. I'm the only one saved. And I want to make the gospel clear. I'd rather go that way than, well, everybody's saved. But what if they're not? And I get to heaven and God says, I gave you an opportunity to preach the gospel. And you blew it. And God slap your face. <laughs> and you should have done it. But now notice it. Those little words right there, in defense, defense, and the confirmation of the gospel. So it's not just a matter of you preaching the gospel, but you've got to defend that message. Uh, hold your place right here and look there. Just go back to your left to Galatians. I want you to see this verse. Galatians in chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Look what we have. He says in verse 9, this is Galatians chapter 5, verse 9, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Now, what is leaven? What do you think? What are you talking about? It's yeast. It's, yeast. it's what you put into uh, dough to make it do what? To make it rise. Well, the Bible uses uh, leaven as though it was sin. And a little sin in your life can permeate your whole life. Little sins you tolerate in your life can totally control your whole life. In other words, if you had a hundred cattle inside of a fence and you left one gate open, that one gate can cause you to lose a whole herd. Well, I, I locked those other four, <laughs> yes, yeah, but you left off one gate. One area in your life unguarded can destroy your whole testimony. So you have to watch that. So he says, there are those who will add works to the gospel. When you add works to the gospel, you permeate the whole gospel. You ruin the whole message. And so that's why he says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ into another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that were, you know, uh, twist, and turn, and pervert the gospel of Christ into another message. And he says, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. So he is set for the defense of the God. He's got to defend that true message. So here he says in verse 10, I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. In other words, there's those who are teaching, these legalistic Judaizers coming down from Jerusalem and giving them a, a message of you've got to keep the law also. Well, they were totally misleading the people. 
and causing them to believe something that wasn't true. So this is what he said in verse 11. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision or the law, if you have to be circumcised because it's under the law, if I preach that that's what you've got to do to be saved, why do I yet suffer persecution? Why am I being persecuted for something that uh, they say you've got to do? He's because I don't teach that. He said, I do not teach that. That is wrong. So he says, why do I yet suffer persecution? And then you ought to underline this part in your Bible. This is Galatians chapter 5 and verse 11. Then is the offense of the cross ceased. The reason we get criticized and suffer persecution is because you teach salvation by grace alone. When you add works to the message, well, that's the message the world believes in. That's what most religions believe in. You've got to, yes, believe, but you also got to do these other things, too, and you've got to do these good deeds. Well, then you don't persecute a person. But what you do get persecuted for is when you believe that salvation is by grace and grace alone. First thing that somebody says whenever they think they really understand what you're saying, you mean to tell me. I can trust Christ as my Savior and go out here and live anyway. Offends people. So we can't tell them that, so we got to change the gospel. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever changes his life and goes to church and pays 50% and turns from his sins and makes Christ the Lord and Master of his life, well, then that, that, that makes sense. But when you say it's by grace and grace alone, now that offends people. You can't. Tell me I can just trust Christ. And that's all i got to do. There's got to be more to it than that. No, there is nothing else. God loves you that much. You see, salvation is based upon this principle. God wants you to know how much he loves you. Not how much you love God. You do not go to heaven because you love God. You go to heaven because God loved you. Now, as you begin to grow in the Lord, you learn more and more. Your love for the Lord can begin to grow. And next thing you know, you want to serve the Lord because you love him. Isn't it better to do it because you want to? Then do it because you have to. Wife, you have to love your husband. Well, don't you just want to love him because you love him? I love you. Rule number one, number two, number three. Thou shalt wash my dishes. Thou shalt make the bed. Thou shalt cut the grass. Thou shalt overhaul the motor. Uh, and lay down all these laws. Now, if they, you love each other, you don't have to have all these rules and regulations. Because you love. And love has its own set of rules. So if I love my wife then I want to be faithful to my wife. I want to provide, I want to care, and I want to do all the things I'm supposed to do. Why? Because love. Love is a powerful motivation. And it's more powerful than fear. The Bible says that perfect love casteth out fear. Fear torments. And so when you don't truly trust the Lord, you're afraid. So people who are not really trusting the Lord are afraid of losing their salvation because it depends on them. And so they have to do something to try to help God save them. No, he is the Savior. There is no other Savior. But he says here, then is the offense of the cross ceased. It ceased. If I teach works for salvation, then I won't be offended. But he did not teach the law to be saved. He taught grace and grace alone. And so therefore he was... <laughs> He was placed in jail. The people wanted to kill him. Because why would the Jews want to kill Paul if Paul was teaching what they were doing? Well, he wasn't. But those same teachers who wanted to kill Paul came down here and was teaching the people in 
Galatia and Antioch, the people he led to the Lord and trying to put them under the law. Paul said, well, if, if that's what I was teaching, then why are they trying to kill me? So go back to the book of Philippians in chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. So Paul, in prison, has some things to say to really help people to serve the Lord with joyfulness and to rejoice always, as he says in chapter 4. But notice what he says in verse 8. For God is my record how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. In other words, according to the tender mercies of God. In other words, Paul said, I, I love you like the Lord loves you. I want the Lord to love you through me. And this is what he's talking about in chapter 2. See, we don't have to love God, and we don't have to love people. But he says in the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, verse 14, uh, for the love of Christ constraineth us, or motivates us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then all were dead, and that they which live should not, should not, henceforth, not one, live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. So should I love the Lord? Yes. Do I have to love the Lord? No. Your children, do they have to love you? Or should they love you? You want them to. You say, you love me or I'll... You want your children to love you because they love you. And you want to love them because what? Because you love them. Uh, because of this, this, and this, and this. No, no, you love them. You're supposed to love them with an everlasting love. A love that's not based upon their, how they live. If the children do wrong, well, I don't love you anymore. No. You're supposed to love them regardless of how they live. God loves me regardless of whether I serve him or I don't serve him. And it's that love for me that causes me to want to serve him. Anyway, he says here in verse 9, And this I pray, that, and you ought to line these two words, your love. You see, in chapter 1 and verse 5, we talked about your fellowship. Your fellowship in the gospel. Because without the fellowship in the gospel, there's, you don't know how to love. Did you know soul winning, telling people how to have eternal life, how to go to heaven, is the greatest show of compassion and love you can show? Now, people may have a lot of problems in life, and you can take them to the hospital. Uh, you can pay their bills. Uh, you can give them money. Uh, you can do all kinds of good deeds. You can help people a lot of ways. But the greatest show of compassion is that you talk to them about the Lord, how to have eternal life. Because after you do these other things, are they still going to die? And when they die, where are they going? If they haven't trusted the Lord, they're still going to hell. We don't want to pave the road for them to go to hell on. They were on their way to hell, but I made it comfortable for them. I really helped them on the road to hell. No. Use their problems to get them to the Lord. It's not that you don't try to help people is that you want to help people to the Lord. And using people's problems as opportunities to explain the gospel. Let me share something with you. Like Peter and John said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Power to raise them up, <laughs> but didn't have any money. Which one would you rather have? You say, I'll take the money. No, they had power that God gave to them, but silver and gold have I none. 
And so one thing that we all have is that treasure in earthen vessels, the knowledge of how to go to heaven. That's the most important thing you can ever know. So it must be the most important thing you can ever share. So whenever you witness to somebody, we're trying to teach these teenagers and college kids that come to college to go out Friday night soul winning. And the reason is because that's a way of showing compassion. It's a way of showing love. Because they're doing something for somebody with nothing coming back to them from those individuals. They don't charge them. So, okay, I led you to the Lord. That's $5. <laughs> no, you don't, you don't do that. And if you can teach the kids to do that, where they care about other people's destiny more than they can themselves, about themselves, then you'd be surprised what kind of individuals that will make down the road when they see the needs of other people. And the greatest need, oh yes, is knowing the Lord. But you also get a chance to help them out of the areas of their life, which is ought to be done. But look what he says. In this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. In other words, more and more. More in what? Knowledge. Get this. And in all judgment. In other words, the more you love people, the more you want what's best for them. I want people to go to heaven. But they're not in heaven yet. Many have trusted Christ as Savior. Now, I want the best while they're here. So the best thing I can do to help them while they're here is to give them more knowledge. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. And so you want power? No knowledge. Know the knowledge of the Word of God. Not just the wisdom of the world, but the wisdom of God. And when you get the wisdom of God, then you can make better decisions. Your judgment depends upon your knowledge. And if you don't know a lot, you can't make wise decisions. So you've got to know and discern. So the Bible talks about the Word of God that we may discern right from wrong. That's in the book of Hebrews in chapter 5. So God wants us to be able to decide between right and wrong by the mental actions, decisions that you make. And so your wisdom is revealed by the decisions that you make. If you're a smart person, it will be revealed by the decisions you make. What are you living for? How do you live? Not only the money you make... The money you save, the money you spend, the money you keep. All those things reveal something about you. But he says here, in verse 10, this verse you ought to underline it in your Bible. That ye may approve things. In other words, you grow in the knowledge of the Word of God because you love the Lord, and your knowledge will increase, your judgment will increase, You'll become wiser. You'll be able to discern between bad, better. That's a good, better, best. Never let it rest till your good is better and your better is best. That makes sense, don't it? You got that? Don't ask me to repeat it. 